Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Alison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so excited about the word that I have this morning. God started speaking this oh, a number of weeks ago. And then we've just, for some of us, have had the privilege to be at our ACC National Conference, which was titled Outpouring and God Outpoured. So I'm expectant. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I come with your word. And there's nothing that I can bring that can transform anyone. But you, Holy Spirit, can take a word and bring life. And so my prayer is this morning that that is what you would do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me get my eyes. In 2012... A small black kitten made its way to Bellevue Automotive Centre. Obviously abandoned and hungry, James Parker made an irreversible mistake. A choice of placing a saucer of milk out for said kitten. He settled in for the day. At the end of the day, James, having shooed said small kitten out of the workplace, headed home. At 7am the next morning, as he's opening the roller door, a small black kitten pushed against his boot and looked up at him expectantly. And he gave in to the small blue-eyed furry beggar and gave him some more milk. Satisfied, he settled in for the day. And at the end of work... James scooped him up and put him on a seat in the car where he promptly curled up and went to sleep for the entire drive home and Mr Orlando joined the Parker household. He's still growing strong. See, what we feed and nurture returns to our lives. We see the fruit of what we invest into. This is true of small black kittens and also our relationships, our study, our work and our spirits. See, if I feed friendship with time, conversation, fun and generosity, the return of joy and loyalty is enormous. If I feed my study with diligence, time management and commitment, I see a return of achievement. If I feed my work with excellence, faithfulness and honour, the return will be promotion, capacity, growth and recognition. So I want to look this morning at the story of a woman who chose to invite someone for a meal and the return to her life was miraculous. So let's turn this morning to 2 Kings chapter 4 and we're going to start at verse 8. And it said, one day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. One day. Who knows that a choice made on one day can transform the course of your life? An ultimate sliding door moment, if you like. And maybe you've had a day like that. Perhaps it was a choice that connected you with your now husband or wife. Or maybe 
It was a choice that resulted in profound regret or pain. But a choice was made and your life changed. See, one day she made a choice and urged a prophet to join her for a meal. She didn't know him, yet this step of generous faith brought the presence of God into her life and home. See, Elisha was divinely appointed by God as the prophet of Israel. And he was the prophet with the double anointing. Now think about this. Elijah went before him. If Elijah prayed, don't rain, it didn't rain. If Elijah said, God send fire down from heaven, man, it consumed everything. And Elisha had double that anointing. And she invited him into her house. See, no other prophet recorded in the Bible had the same infilling of God's Holy Spirit and power as Elisha did. She thought she was just being hospitable, but her open heart and life brought the power and the word of heaven to her table. And those meals awakened something in her. Perhaps it was the words of wisdom that spoke to her heart, or perhaps it was the glimmer of hope that there may be more than just religion she'd grown up with that began to stir as she listened to him, talking about God talking to him. Maybe it was a longing to hear more of the miracles that occurred at Elisha's hand. But an occasional visit and meal was not enough. So she set out to invest into building an upper room a place for Elisha to be at home, a place for the presence of God and the power of his word to dwell, a place of welcome, intimacy, friendship, of knowing and being known. See, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man, understatement, Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there wherever, whenever he comes to us. So from a place of desire and vision for more of God, this woman invested her resource and her time and her heart to build this place. She thought through what it would look like and what it would hold in order to create a place where Elisha could stay. It wasn't extravagant or elaborate, but it was to become extraordinary. See, in our busy, distracted lives, it's easy for us to settle for a devotional snack with Jesus. Or maybe a bit of online or podcast takeaway. Or perhaps a once a month or once a week Sunday family dinner which is nice, but all the other meals of our lives are with routine, work, entertainment, my agenda, my commitments, my priorities and my desires. And we are in danger of being like Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7 and he invites Jesus to his home. And, you know, you may know this story because a woman comes and she starts to weep at Jesus' feet and anoint his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And he's like, oh, if he knew who this was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And, of course, Simon tells him this story. 
And he says to Simon these words, which I want us to hear this morning. He said, do you see this woman? I came to your home and you provided no water for my feet. You gave me no greeting. You provided nothing from freshening up. And he goes on to tell this woman her sins are forgiven. And this is where we find that Jesus isn't the only guest. Because the rest of the dinner guests are now sitting there chatting amongst themselves going, who does he think he is? See, Simon invited Jesus over, but alongside his other friends. He could say that Jesus was there, but there was no honour in his heart or any desire for anything more of God. He never worshipped. The meal was about him, not Jesus. Revelations chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now pay attention, I am standing at the door and knocking. If any of you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to visit you and to share a meal at your table and you will be with me. Jesus, God himself is standing, knocking, waiting to be invited in, not for a snack, not for takeaway, not for a stand-up meal at the kitchen bench or at my desk while I'm still working, but a long lunch, a meal. And as beautiful as this is, we need to discover that an occasional meal, occasional visit, is not enough. There's so much more. Oh, there is so much more. And something needs to awaken within us. I don't want Jesus to visit me occasionally. I don't even want to have an occasional wonderful meal with him. I want his presence and his power and his word to be constant. God is looking for a space where he can feel at home, a place where he can abide, a place within our hearts and our lives where he can dwell, a place of welcome and intimacy and friendship, a place of knowing him and being known. We, like this woman did for Elisha, need to build an upper room, a place and a space We build from a desire and a vision for more of God. A place and a space we invest our heart, our time into so that the power and the word of heaven finds a place to stay. It is something we do individually and it's something that we do corporately as a church in the walls of this building. See, when this woman set out to build a room for Elisha, she could never have known that it was to become the place where her deepest desires were to collide with the power of God and miracles would be birthed. She set out to honour the holy man because of the relationship she had formed with him. And the room that she built on the roof of her house transformed the course of her life. 
we read on and it says, One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, Tell her, You've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my people. Well, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. And Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. And Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha told her. You see, what the natural mind and world cannot understand or change or transform or speak to, an upper room can. This is where we access the supernatural power of Holy Spirit and it intersects with the natural realm of our time and our world. But here's the thing. An upper room can only be built above. Remarkable, right? It's not an extension or a lean-to of our lives. It's an elevation. God can only ever be above, above our work, above our intellect, above our reason, above our time, above our experience, above our talent and above our pleasures. Isaiah chapter 55 in the message, verse 8 and 9 says, I don't think the way you think and the way you work isn't the way I work for as the sky soars above the earth. So the way I work surpasses the way you work and the way I think is beyond the way you think. He is the great I am. This is the King and he will inhabit the space we make for him. We build him an upper room when he is above our time and our schedule and our priorities and our commitments and the things that are of our natural world when he is first in our lives. We build him an upper room with our worship, passionately seeking him, his presence, his word and his voice. We build him an upper room through prayer and silence and stillness and listening and wonder. We build him an upper room as we speak in tongues and as we repent and when we, like the woman with her perfume, pour out our thanks and honour on his feet for being so wondrously, completely forgiven. We build him an upper room when we behold the cross daily. And we build him an upper room when we come to this place and do the same. It isn't an investment for which there is a cost 
For us, it is time, perhaps the most costly commodity in our hurried world, but it is time that is returned. It's returned in grace and strength and wisdom and revelation and love and restoration and healing and all the fruit of the Spirit. It's returned with supernatural time because when the Holy Spirit overflows in our lives, the oil of His presence somehow soothes those things that can be frustrating and overly time-consuming. When we seek his kingdom first, then all these things, the needs and the commitments of our lives are met as well. And I just want to speak right now to those of you who've got little babies, little kids. You are not left out. And I speak from experience because I've had two places of an upper room when my babies were little. The first was during play school in Sesame Street. Why? Because I set it aside and I claimed that promise that in Luke's gospel where Mary and Martha are with Jesus and Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. And I pray that. God, I'm here. Don't take this from me. And his answer was yes. And the second place of my upper room, clothesline. Ain't nobody interrupting me there. I mean, honestly, he knows our lives and he's so kind because if our heart is for him, his heart in a moment can outpour more revelation at the clothesline that you might get in 30 minutes if your heart is not there. There is no more beautiful, peace-filled, transformational or powerful place than an upper room. It's not automatic in our lives or even our church. It must be built. It's a choice. And the upper room is not just the place where our hearts can connect with the heart and power of God, but where the most dead of our dreams and the greatest of our brokenness and pain can find life again. See, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18 to 36, we read this. The child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers and he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told a servant, carrying him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to and meet her. Ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. 
Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? And Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. And he went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Then Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. As the child protection officer, don't ever put Elisha's actions into practice. Literally, it will not work out so well in this century. (sighs) But having built this room... And seen God's power move in her life, this woman knew exactly where to place her son and who to seek. She placed him, her dream that was lost in the place that was so familiar to her. The place she knew God would move and God could move. And she knew Elisha would come for her and would not let go until he did. He saw her pain and he was moved by her seeking him. She did not let the natural realm speak death to her son. She let the supernatural power and presence breathe resurrection life into him. What dream from God is dead in your life? What disappointment or brokenness or pain are you carrying? What child has walked away from God? Where are you placing them? Is there an upper room where it can all be laid out before heaven? Or is there no place of power And the word of God that can intersect into the natural realm of your life. Who are you seeking? Is it the one who carries heaven's power? Are you hanging on until he breathes life again? Or have you let go in hope that a stick of the world or even religion will bring a solution? Or have you given up altogether? Has God moved partly and you need another encounter? See, I don't ask from a place of condemnation, but that you might know that I'm believing here today is an upper room 
where there can be a collision between heaven and earth and miracles are possible. You see this son, miraculously born, tragically killed, powerfully resurrected, found in that upper room, foreshadowed our Saviour. And here today, Jesus is in this room. He's in this room. And while Elisha had a double anointing, Jesus has the Holy Spirit without limit. So I'm inviting you to respond today. I'm going to ask you to stand. Do you need more than an occasional meal with Jesus? Do you want more? Do you really want more? Do we really want more? Do you want to see the power of God poured out? Do you need a fresh encounter? Do you want His presence to be constant? Do you want it to overwhelm and overflow from your life? Do you you want His presence? Do you want His presence? Do you want it more than anything? Do you want it more than just a song that you're singing in that seat? Do you want it? Because I tell you, I need more. We need more. Our city needs more. Our family needs more. They need more than us snacking on Jesus. They need an upper room. They need us to pursue Him. Encounter.